love of God this morning. We talked of last week that there is a refiner's fire that came and touched and that when the refiner's fire touches us, it absorbs anything that isn't like him or it, it, we absorb into the, the presence and the image of God, but it consumes sin, it consumes pride, it consumes anything that would hinder our relationship with God. And when you heard the song that they just sang, that's what Jesus we're thankful for. That's what Jesus we get rowdy about, we celebrate, we thank God for. So in the name of Jesus, we lift our hands. This Christmas season, we thank you, Father, that you sent a forerunner. You sent and made a way that you said, make a highway to prepare for the way of the Lord. So, Father, we thank you that as we reflect, as we anticipate your coming, as we anticipate fresh comings of your presence, these last few weeks, your presence has encouraged us and renewed us. Father, we thank you that we're stronger today because of the things we laid down last week and this week, that we look more and more like the person in the image of Jesus, our Jesus that has changed our lives. We pray, Father, that the same Jesus that has changed our life wants to change those closest to us, wants to change a circumstance, a situation, wants to bring the presence of God into it and say, Salvation is open to anyone and everyone if they will simply humble themselves and welcome me in. That our end is not full. There is room for him in our hearts and our minds this morning. Holy Spirit, we welcome you into our world. We thank you for how you came, the way you came. That you dumbfounded everybody who thought you were going to come as a ruler with a sword in your hand. But, Father, you came as a humble baby in a manger, surrounded by animals in a stall. God, that you've identified with us. So, Father, we thank you that we can trust you. We can lean into you. We can receive you with open arms because of your love for us. Holy Spirit, I ask that you take the word this morning, that it be life to us, that it be fresh manna to us that it feed us as we partake of your body and your blood, as we remember what you've done. Holy Spirit, you are welcome, exalted. You are ruling and reigning in this place and in our lives. We receive you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen. Amen. Well, can we just put our hands together and thank Jesus? We love him. He's worthy to praise. And thank you, worship team, for putting that together. You guys did an awesome job. And uh, GPC kids, you guys can be dismissed. You have a great service with Noah and Jill. They prepared uh, a great Christmas message for you guys. So you guys enjoy, have fun, and uh, don't get too sugared up. Well, it's been... Um, tough few weeks, um, but a, a great few weeks as well. We've had a lot of uh, different families in our church uh, quarantining and going through COVID, and um, so I know we have Gary and Judy back. They're recovered and healthy and whole, so he came back and brought his mullet with him as well, so that's, um, quarantine was good to you, brother, um, but there's so many of you I know that uh, have been, went through a season and a time, and maybe you have 
some of you have family that are recovering right now um, as well. So we are in prayer, and please let us know uh, if there's anything that we can do. Uh, we also just finished up our first semester at ZCA in our new facility. Um, so can we just thank God for that? That was a huge, huge step forward. Um, as you've heard the story, we got in three days for our building department said, you're good to go. Then it was extreme makeover home edition, uh, getting every classroom ready, teachers working, uh, they're hanging stuff on fresh paint, all the fun stuff. But uh, it was, it's been a journey, but our director, Kathy, and so many of our teachers have done such an excellent job making it an amazing, amazing place because we can build it with drywall and steel and all these things, but it what, it's what goes into it. The heart of it is what our teachers and our staff and all of our pastors bring and all of our parents. I, I think of uh, Mike and Brooke seeing Cyrus and your kids and how their lives have changed. And um, we do it because we want to serve you and see your children become world changers. Uh, so it is a blessed season to celebrate. We get into the season, we get sentimental and we all begin to think and of what God's done this year. Um, but when you really think about the Christmas message and the Christmas, um, the heart and the purpose of it, it really is far from anything that's sentimental. When you think of some of the big characters in the story of Christmas from John the Baptist, even the prophets who foretold like Isaiah, who we're going to look at like Malachi, when he said, when he really foretold, we've been really waiting for Christmas with Malachi and with John the Baptist today, we're going to wait for Christmas with Isaiah. Um, but we see really that it is full of action. It is full of passion. It is full of danger. It's full of um, how do we maneuver when a king sends a sentence out, which is a power move to say, I want to find out how many are in under my kingdom that I can rule and control and begin to implement new things. And so we see that the gospel is brought forth. Jesus, the incarnate Christ, is brought forth in a hostile environment, but he had a plan all along. And aren't you thankful that when things seem hostile and how am I going to make it? How's it going to work? God is always working in the undercurrents because he loves his remnant. He loves his church and he's always there if you will open yourself up and receive him and look for him. So this morning, I want to look at a, a passage in Isaiah that um, really you can miss uh, if you're not paying close attention, uh, but we see in, in several places in the Old Testament, we see in Genesis, and then we also see uh, in Isaiah 7, where the virgin birth um, is foretold, and it's prophesied. We see in, uh, we know in Genesis 3 that it says, and uh, he will uh, destroy uh, the enemy, that you may crush his head, but, or he'll, he's going to crush the head of, of the enemy through the seed of a woman. And so we, we see even in the story of creation how the virgin birth is foretold. And then we see uh, in Isaiah 7, I want to read this to you, and I want to look into it, but this was uh, in Isaiah 7 verse 11, if you put it up, and this is really going to give us the title of what I want to preach to you this morning. It says this, Isaiah 7, 11, it says, Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as hell or as high as heaven. Let it be as deep as hell 
or as high as heaven. And that's what I want to title the message today, as deep as hell or as high as heaven. And there is a big message just packed within that. Uh, but what I want you to see, I want to give the context and see that when this prophecy came forth, that there was more to it that even the prophet Isaiah did not recognize or didn't even know the fullness of what he was saying. And I want to show you how this is going to apply to your life and to the Christmas season. So when we see this sign given, this is Isaiah 7 is, is known as the sign of Emmanuel. Now we know what Emmanuel means, right? God with us. So this is where we get that God is with us through the sign of Emmanuel. If you go and challenge you to take some time to read Isaiah 7 uh, this week, but you'll see that there was, um, there was a war that was looming, and King Ahaz was fearful that Damascus and Syria were going to team up, and that they were going to bring war and destruction against Jerusalem. So as the king of Jerusalem is fearful, not knowing what to do, how to prepare, knowing that if war is coming, there's going to be bloodshed, there's going to be loss and devastation. God sends the prophet Isaiah to encourage him with the word and with the message to not fear, to not be anxious, that God is going to be with them. And so we see, and I want you to, to see this, uh, this one portion in, in particular, but he says in... Uh, Isaiah 7, 4, Seth, if you would put that up. He says that as you're fearful of what's about to take place, and as I was just spending time reading and studying Isaiah 7, I felt like this was for somebody this morning, that whatever you're going through, even hear what Isaiah said in 735 B.C., thousands of years ago, is going to apply to you today. He said to take heed, to be quiet, don't be fear or faint-hearted. And so whenever you're going through a circumstance or whenever you're having to trust God with something that is out of your control, it even said, it gave the, the description that they were like trees being blown by the wind and they were losing leaves and, and feeling like it was so out of their control that they kept backsliding and slipping and, and you just begin losing ground because of how strong the wind was. So it's giving this allegory and this example. But the prophet Isaiah says to him, you need to take heed. You need to be calm. You need to know that you're going to stand. And what the rumors that you've heard of war, it's not going to come to pass. Now that takes some faith to trust when the word of God comes, when all of the signs and the situations and the circumstance say otherwise. That's when you have to activate your faith in the word of God and trust it and stand in it and be calm. See, there's, there's something about when you walk in faith And it might, not, um, it might not make sense to anybody else. You ever been in a place where um, you've, maybe you've seen, you've been a spectator, that all hell was going on in someone's life, yet they were the most composed person through it, and you knew that they were walking in faith and trusting God to a level where whatever faith they have,
that's the kind of faith that I want. That when circumstance and a bad report comes forth, I shouldn't come undone. My life shouldn't unravel. But faith should come, and I should take heed, be able to be quiet, not to fear, and to be faint-hearted, not to be faint-hearted. So this is what's coming from the prophet Isaiah. And really just to double down to say of how strong Isaiah know, knew he heard God. He said, if this isn't enough, um, you go on, you read. He even says to test God and to ask him for a sign. He says, go ahead, ask him for a sign that is as deep as hell and as high as heaven. Pretty much saying, ask for any kind of sign and let's, let's put God essentially to the test here and see what's about to happen, that this is really the word of God. And so we see that this is where the sign comes forth. Isaiah 7, 14, we've heard it, especially this time of year. It says that, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. So this is the sign that came forth that is as deep as hell and as high as heaven. It says that a virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. And he will call him Emmanuel. He will be eating curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and to choose the right. So that's Isaiah 7, 14 through 15. And what I want to put in context this morning is, as Isaiah was saying this, the church, church history, tradition, church fathers and mothers, as they've put commentary to this, would say that Isaiah was not even indicating what was going to happen thousands of years later through the birth of Jesus Christ, through the Virgin Mary. In context, what he was saying was in the present moment that you're fearful of war that's coming to you from Damascus and from Syria. And the sign that I'm giving you is that you're going to know that through the, a, a virgin or even before, and again, you ready for me to go Bible nerd on you for a minute? So hang in here for me. So the New Testament was written in Greek, okay? So the first century Christians would know the New Testament in Greek or the Septuagint in Greek. They would even read the Old Testament in Greek when it would be uh, transferred. So there's a difference between uh, the Hebrew and Greek. Here, we're reading it in English, which was like Greek in its time, which was widely known and widely expressed. And so... In the Hebrew form, it would say a pregnant woman, a woman, and then the Greek would bring it into a virgin. You can study that out. I spent probably an hour just for a five-second five snippet for you, so you're welcome. Um, but what I want you to see here is that what was being foretold, and it would be, he was even saying of uh, King Ahaz's wife, that Isaiah was prophesying, not even knowing that his, his wife was pregnant, saying that, okay, God is so good and his word stands strong that your wife is going to give birth and that he's, you're going to call him Emmanuel, which means God is going to be with you, that you're not to fear as war is coming your way, that you're not to fear that God is going to be by your side, essentially. So there's one dimension to this. And what we're going to get to is in light of Christ, we're going to see this take off and experience new dimensions that was far beyond even what Isaiah knew. Now, this is, when, as I was studying this, these are details that I've never caught. Have you heard this, understood this way? We've kind of always 
seen it as, oh, that's a prophecy of Jesus, which it is. But in the Old Testament, Isaiah didn't even know what he was speaking into. And where I want, what I want you to get to this morning and what I want to just be in the front of your mind is there's always more to the story. There's always more to it. That whatever God is doing in your life now, you may see it as I'm just getting a sign that I need to be established and encouraged that God is with me. He's by my side. Never knowing that something thousands of years later or generations to come after you, what God can do and that there's more to the story. And what I love is present day, how you are writing the story and imparting and, and giving into the legacy of your children and of your grandchildren. So don't ever underestimate the legacy that you're building today, being in the house of God, trusting God. We were uh, even talking this week, and I was just kind of getting sentimental and thinking about, man, it's been uh, a little over five years being in ministry and having conversation uh, with my parents. And I began thinking, like, when did you, did you ever see when, if I was going to be a pastor? Obviously, growing up in church here, uh, that this was, my life changed here at ZCA, but we we talked and just kind of went through different places, and believe it or not, that until I was 19 years old, we never had a conversation, or it was never even in my heart or in my knowing that I would pastor this church one day. Me and Pastor Joyce and, and the West never even talked about that. It was it was not in my forecast for my teens, my 18, 19 years old. That that's not was not a sign that I was looking for. And so, as I look back to moments and experiences and times, when I was in college, that sign began to illuminate, and I began to see God's call come forth in my life. And as I began to look back, that at the time, first 19 years of life, there was no moments that then I could see, but now as I saw the call of God begin to illuminate and come upon my life, I begin to see things that took place back then that enforced and encouraged what's taking place in the present. Has that ever happened to you before? Well, you're like, it now makes sense what happened to me 10 years ago preparing me for what I'm doing today, and I wasn't even looking for that. And so we see this similarly in Isaiah, that what is coming out of his mouth has far bigger implications than he even realizes. And what this will set up for when the virgin birth, the annunciation takes place from the angel Gabriel. And so he says again that this sign is going to be as deep as hell and as high as heaven. Isn't that just awesome language? As a pastor, you love when you find verses like that. Because right off the bat, you're like, this is going to be an amazing sermon title. Who wouldn't love to hear how God's promises can go as deep as hell and as high as heaven. It's awesome. And it, it, it covers everything and every part. And so historically, you can research this, that in uh, this was 735 B.C. So in 733 B.C., the war never happened. That Damascus and Syria ended up um, turning against each other, and the war never made it to Jerusalem. So the prophecy was fulfilled, so Isaiah thought because the war never took place. But like I said, there was more to it. And as seven centuries then pass, we can even think, as we love the verse in Ephesians, that God can always do exceedingly, 
above all we could ask, think, or imagine. And so we get to the New Testament, and we understand that when you read the Old Testament, it's like there's a cliffhanger, that there's something missing, that there is a sequel and a part two that you are anticipating and waiting for. And so when you open the Word of God 400 years later after Malachi, the prophet Malachi, left us, we see in Matthew 1.1 that the genealogy of, of Jesus begins. And Seth, if you put this up, I want you to see this. That it begins to tell the story and begins to connect the two together. And it says that the book of genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, and how it begins with Abraham. And you can read all the way through verse 17, uh, which just begins to give of how the seed passed through from generation to generation to generation to fulfill prophecy. And the genealogy, sometimes you can miss the power because it's a bunch of names that you can't pronounce. But there's great revelation and power to see how the seed of Jesus was preserved and how prophecy was at work to get us to the place of what we celebrate as Christmas. And so we see that this genealogy began, and it started with Abraham. And uh, even as you go into Hebrews, where you see the, the hall of faith, where it says, in faith, Abraham did this, and in faith, Moses did this, and jo all of the different ones, is that you see then in where the aspect of faith comes, that each and every one had to have faith to trust in the promises of God, that it would even be for the purpose of our sermon today that sometimes your faith has to go as deep as hell and as high as heaven. And so we get to verse 18, and this is where um, what's known as is the Annunciation, and even in as you go on the next couple chapters when um, you see the, the angel Gabriel, especially here, um, it's known as the Annunciation, so the announcement. And next week, uh, we're going to look at the Incarnation, which is how Christ becomes uh, a man, how God becomes a man in Jesus, but is still fully divine and fully man. Remember last week we talked about um, how icons, which are simply theology and color, that many in the early church could not read in the first centuries. You couldn't, you didn't have, let alone if you could read, you wouldn't have an own, your own copy of the Bible. So when you came to gather together, there would be what's known as an iconostasis, which would be icons communicating um, the gospel, communicating what God had done then and how it's to give you faith for now. So when you would see these icons, it would communicate worship to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, that they would simply be a sign. You didn't worship them. It pointed to the one we're supposed to worship. And so when you see uh, these icons, which you know through this series, I, I like bringing out these, these pieces of ancient history to understand how what early church worship looked like and what they communicated. So last week, we looked at how, how to make the sign of the cross, that this was, would be in, in every one of the, the icons, they would be representing the Trinity, that it would be the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in these three fingers. And then you would see in these two where great heresy would always run amok of how to understand that God was fully God and fully man. So the two natures of Christ, that this is what that communicated, and they would make the sign in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. 
um, and they would go from right to left to represent when Christ in Matthew 25 separates the sheep from the goats, um, when that refining or that purging comes. And so we see here, getting to this annunciation. Um, I want to read this to you because this is the Christmas story. And I want you to see that this is where that prophecy, that we see that there was more to the story and what this means. So it says in verse 18, it says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being just a man, and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call her name Jesus, or Yeshua, which means salvation of God. For he will save his people from their sins. So this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, guess what it is? Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. So what we see here is that God with us is about to take on a deeper meaning, a whole different way, a whole different understanding. That we understand when you put Jesus into the Old Testament, that you begin to see the true and the better. That the Bible just isn't a bunch of random stories weaved together. The Old Testament points to the person of Jesus. And then now knowing in light of Jesus what the Old Testament and the prophets didn't know until Jesus came, then when you put him in those spots and stories, everything begins to make sense. The Old Testament doesn't just become a bunch of law and regulations and what they said a long time ago, but it begins to reveal the person of Jesus in a deeper and more beautiful way. So what we see here is in Isaiah 7 how God was with them in a time of trouble. Now God is literally with us because he comes from heaven and into creation and identifies with us. That is a much deeper way to understand our relationship with God, that he literally became his creation. He became man to identify with you and I and ultimately to become the savior of the world. You see, it can be so easy to disconnect Christmas from Good Friday or from Easter, thinking that Christmas is just, oh, it's the baby Jesus, it's the birth of Christ. But this is where salvation begins, and this is where all of our story changes. Um, and so what we see taking place here is a deeper meaning of everything beginning to make sense of, of what was in the New Testament and now in the New Testament. So it takes us back to this place of understanding of how when you ask for a sign, let it be as deep as hell and as high as heaven. You see, when you understand the gospel, and this is the good news of Jesus, and this is what we celebrate, this is what the refiner fire does, is when you think of what Jesus did, it says, and, and this is really the Easter message, is he went down into hell, right? He took the keys of death, so he descended, 
to the depths of hell. Then he came back, and what did he do? He appeared on earth. So then he came back to earth. And then 40 days later, what happened? He ascended into heaven. So he went as deep as hell. He met us back here on earth. And then he went as high as heaven. Isn't this amazing? And so this is the power of how the Bible can connect thousands of years apart to someone that they weren't even looking for to say they're going to go all the way down, lead us back, and go back to high as heaven. And so if you ever doubt the character and the nature and the promises of God, just think how the gospel story is him going as deep as hell and high as heaven for you, simply for you. What did we say um, last week is that with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they were put into the fire, yes, they came out not smelling like smoke. Yes, they came out rejoicing. But the reason for their praise and their rejoice was that which was bound them was the only thing that was burned. So when you get into the fire and when you experience the presence of God, it burns the things that are binding you and takes the limits off. Now, here's another mystery. Seth, if you put this up, this is another icon. And it's uh, how they would refer to Mary in the early church was not simply Mary, but was by the Theotokos is how they would describe her. And this would be seen in, in every church um, in, in, in early Christianity and even in Orthodox churches today. And so what you see engraved there is more spacious than the heavens is what um, that literature that's there. And what you'll see is um, what's neat because, and not to get into Mary, because there's Mary is one of the most debated figures in all of Christianity, right? There's some um, churches that um, set her at a place that sometimes seems higher than Jesus, right? That it seems like there's a worship of Mary. But then you go to the other side where we don't even mention her except for the week of Christmas, right? But the thing is, and this is the balance that I've come to find, is that if you were to get to know me, who would you go and talk to? If you wanted to get to know me, who's going to know me the best? It's most likely my mother, right? And so Mary is held at a place of honor, and Scripture tells us that she's blessed from generation to generation. Um, scripture also tells us that she's most favored among any woman, that she is really the model of, of service. And so Mary, in Scripture, is given these, um, these titles, is given this place of, of honor. But just as I said, Mary is to point us to someone else, and it's to point us to the person of Christ. And even where it's got all crazy is that every description of Mary, Jesus is always present with her because it's not ultimately about Mary. It's about Christ. And so every description and icon and picture you'll find is her present with Jesus. And so you'll even see in the hand of Jesus, again, where uh, for you theology nerds, is Jesus in this picture is making that sign of the cross. So that's how they were depicted. But what I want to get to is how it says more spacious than the heavens. And when you think of God, I mean, this is just crazy because this doesn't happen outside of the virgin birth, that God would choose to put himself in the womb of a woman, that God who cannot be contained 
chose to be contained in the womb of a woman for nine months. Isn't this crazy? And so what does this mean that more spacious than the heavens? That when God chooses, chooses to get involved and chooses in this example to be in the womb of a woman is that he begins to take off any limits that may exist. That thinking that this would never be a way that how God would come to us. That's the thing. In that time and that place, they never thought that this is how the Savior of the world would make entrance into the world through the womb of a woman. And even Mary, when you read in the account of Luke, you'll see it when uh, the angel says, you're going to conceive of a baby as a virgin. And she literally asks the question, how is that going to happen? Right? And the angel says, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. And she said, so let it be, yes and amen. And then from there, the angel says, you are most blessed among women. So her yes changed the entire world. And what we learn from Mary is that when you say yes to the Holy Spirit, everything can change in your life, even when it doesn't make sense. And that which can become so close-minded and not knowing how it's going to work, the Holy Spirit always creates space in your life when you say yes to him. And so I want us just to, to glean from that for a moment and understand the place that she plays of, of introducing us to Jesus and that uh, with her, yes, she was the first Christian because she carried Christ within her. And uh, there's so much you can learn from her life as well with all the saints because of the faith that they had to walk in. And so I want you to stand this morning and I want you to, to ponder with me. I want to invite our worship team up and I want to take a moment is just to give room for the presence of God. And if you need uh, prayer, if you just need blessing, um, I want to invite our pastors just to pray for the Holy Spirit, just as Mary did, just as she said yes, that wherever you're struggling, wherever there is the gap and the chasm and the disconnect, that if you will say yes to the Holy Spirit, he will go as deep as hell for you and as high as heaven for you because he already has. You just have to receive that and to believe that. And so I want to see the limits taken off of your life. I want to see the limits taken off of your relationships. And this is what Christmas tells us is of how divinity can come in an invasion into our life without us ever expecting it. And most likely it's going to come the way we didn't even expect it. And so when we think of Christmas, let's believe for the miraculous that you're not alone, that your story doesn't have a period next to it, that let's let the Holy Spirit put a comma and let him continue it. Let's open up some places in your heart that you've closed off, maybe some family that you've given up on, and let's trust that just as Jesus came in the way that he came, the Holy Spirit can come and touch in ways that you never even knew were possible. I want you to hear these words. And it's understanding the power of the incarnation. This is going to set us up for next week. And again, the incarnation is God becoming man in Jesus. But it's through the incarnation that God brought salvation to creation. It's through the incarnation that Jesus becomes Lord in all the world, that he's given the name above every name, 
that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow on heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God our Father. It's through the incarnation that death is defeated from heaven to hell and from top to bottom, that the full circuit takes place, that all is covered, all is seen, all is cared for, all is known by him. And I want you to hear at the Annunciation, we sing at this time of year, it was written in the 1700s, but it's Hark the Herald Angels Sing. We know this. But hear the lyrics in it. It says, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, Glory to the newborn King, Peace on earth and mercy child, God and sinners reconciled. Joyful all ye nations rise, Join the triumph of the skies. With the angelic host proclaim, Christ is born in Bethlehem. It says, Christ the everlasting Lord, late in time behold him come. Offspring of a virgin's womb, veiled in flesh the Godhead see. Haileth the incarnate deity. Pleased is man with man to dwell. Jesus our Emmanuel. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. I want to pray for you and then I want to invite our pastors and we're going to worship and I want the Prince of Peace to touch you today, to ease your anxiety. What did Isaiah say in the beginning? That to be calm, don't be blown about, bound by every wind of doctrine, don't be blown about, around by every wind of circumstance or situation, but let's put our stake in the ground and choose peace and allow the Prince of Peace to guide us forward. So in the name of Jesus, as we Take this time of prayer as we just rest in your presence. Father, let this just be a moment where you download your peace into us. You download your righteousness. That we're reminded that the blood of Jesus is supreme in our lives. Father, that we um, are known by you. That you sent Jesus out of love for us. And that there is such mystery in the way that you move and the way that you do. But when your presence comes and touches us, the mystery begins to make sense a little more. We thank you that there is a fourth man in the fire with us. That we can be strengthened by you. That right now as we pray and as we rest in your presence and as we bless your people. God, that we would be reminded that that which your fire touches consumes and it sets ablaze. So consume the sin in our life and set ablaze that which is your presence in the name of Jesus. Seth, if you put up, I want us to confess our sins together and then we're going to pray. That this just opens us up in a spirit of repentance to receive the Holy Spirit. We prayed it together last week. But it, when we come to him in repentance, we can uh, rise and renewal. Let's say this together. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. By what we have done and by what we have left undone, we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory 
of, our, of your name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you need prayer, I want to invite you to come. Gary and Judy, I want you to come. I want to pray blessing for you. Um, Carol and Mike, I want you to come as well. I want to pray blessing for you. I felt God just um, dealing with me during this message to pray for you and just to bless you. And seeing the faith that in your own, in your own path, how both of you as a couple and out on your own, how you've walked and how you've trusted God. So I believe that there's going to be an injection of faith with whatever you're walking through, with whatever may be in the future. I just feel that the Holy Spirit wants to encourage you both this morning. So I want you guys to come, pastors, if you'd step out. Let's worship, let's pray, and please step out if you need prayer this morning.